Check. One, two. You good? All right. Good morning. I'm excited to come and bring God's word to you. I'm excited that Brian gave me this opportunity to come and preach. And I'm thankful uh, for this church. I'm thankful for the congregation the Lord's allowed me to be a part of. You guys have been an incredible blessing to me. And so it is a blessing to me to get to preach God's word to you this morning. So I want to ask you to join with me. I want to invite you to join with me to turn uh, with me to Joshua chapter 4. If you would, if you have a copy of God's word, turn, turn with me to Joshua chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I want to kind of give you a little background on where we are in Joshua chapter 4. In Joshua, uh, we've seen that over the past couple of weeks, in the first, uh, the first week, um, Brian brought a challenge to us from Joshua chapter 1 that talked about blessings and obedience. He talked about how that uh, our obedience to God's commands lead to his blessings. That God wants to bless us, but God also wants us to be obedient to him. He has given us a certain will for our life, and he wants us to carry that out in obedience to him, but he promises that he's going to bless us. So in chapter 1, we see his command to Joshua to obey him. We see his command to go and be obedient by taking the people of Israel to cross over the Jordan, and we see that he gives them a command to be strong and to be courageous. And so his blessings that the Lord says that I will give you are, come in the form of promises, and he promises, number one, he promises his power. He promises that, uh, that though he asked for um, Joshua to be strong and courageous, he says that there's no one that's going to stand against you. No one can be able to stand against you. This is the promise of my power. He also promised the promise of his presence, that I will be with you wherever you go. I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. But then he also promised his provision. He said that I'm going to give you the land of your inheritance that I promised to your forefathers. So this is in Joshua chapter 1 that he says that uh, obedience will lead to blessings. So then we get to Joshua chapter 2. You guys know the story that Joshua is getting prepared to go into the land that God wanted to give him. So what's he do? He sends two spies into the land of Jericho. So these two spies go into the land of Jericho and then meet a woman of the night by the name Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She lived in complete uh, 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 separation in lifestyle from God, but God loved her and God wanted to use her. And so these two spies interact with Rahab, and we know from Matthew chapter 1 that Rahab is in the line of descendants of Jesus. What? Isn't that awesome? Okay, sorry, side note, all right? So we have, uh, we have these two men going to Rahab's house. And uh, Rahab says these words, look, I know that the Lord, your God, he is the God of heaven and earth. I've seen his mighty works that he has done. So whatever he wants me to do, I'm going to do it. And so these two men stay in her house under shelter. And what these two men do is they take a cord out of their pocket and they say, put this cord on your window frame. And when we come and we conquer this land, and we will because our God has promised us, when we come and we take this land, I want you to put this on your windowsill as a, house, as a sign that your house is a sign of refuge for you and your family. But I believe our God is a God of details. Do you? So check this out. What color was the cord? Scarlet. This is the same Thing. We go back to Exodus when he tells the people of Israel to take a sacrifice, a perfect lamb, and cut it open and put the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost as a refuge that this sign, this house, is going to be a house of refuge that nobody in there will taste death. What color was the blood? Red. What color was the cord that Rahab put upon the window as a sign that her house would be a sign of refuge? 
red. And what color is the shed blood of our Savior who took the cross and said that my body, my flesh is a, is a place of refuge for you to come under and hide from God's wrath? What color was his blood? Red. Amen. Our God has got a details. So then we get to chap- chapter 3 of Joshua. And as Brian said, they're in a preparation to go over and cross over the Jordan. And so what does the Lord command his people to do? He commands his people to consecrate themselves. Brian said last week that that means to turn back to him. So the Lord wants them to consecrate themselves, to uh, confess their sin, to come back and turn back to him because he's about to do an incredible work in their lives. Friends, sisters, brothers in Christ, if we want God to do an incredible work in our lives, we must consecrate ourselves to him and lay our lives before him. This is what he commands us in Joshua chapter 3. And so at the end of Joshua chapter 3, we see that the people of Israel get to cross over the Jordan. And the Lord does a mighty work, and he takes the waters of the Jordan, which the author notes, and he says that it was harvest time, so the waters are not just past their their normal level. They're extending past the brinks. And he says that God takes this whole amount of water and pushes it up way beyond where they were. And they walk not on muddy water, they walk not on, I mean, they walk not, not on muddy ground, they walk not on wet ground, but they walk on dry ground. Water has just been on this ground and it is now dry. Sound familiar? Go back to Exodus. God did the same thing with the Red Sea of the people there. God is showing his mighty hand. So we get to Joshua chapter 4. It's where we find ourselves today. And Joshua chapter 4 is kind of a continuation of Joshua chapter 3. And what we'll see is that Joshua takes the story at the end of Joshua chapter 3 and is going to repeat it not once but twice, each time giving different details. So I want us to see this morning, I want us to see uh, how this fits into the whole of Scripture thus far. We're into six books into the Old Testament thus far. The first five books of the Old Testament are known as the Pentateuch. And the first five books talk about God's covenantal love with his people. He established a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, and he promised that he's going to make Israel a great nation. He told Abraham, go look out the stars and see how they are a multitude. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as those. And he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And so by the Lord keeping his promise that they would go into the promised land, this was a fulfillment of this, a partial fulfillment of this that they were going to go and have their own land to make and call their possession. So it fits in there that it's a continuation of the Pentateuch. And the Lord doesn't just establish um, a covenant of love here um, that, that will fade away after a little while. It extends from generation to generation to generation. And this is going to play a huge key into Joshua chapter 4. Okay, You see where we are in the picture of the whole Old Testament so far. This is where we are, okay? All right, so before we dive into Joshua chapter 4, I want us to read a passage of Scripture from Genesis that the Lord promises. It's going to be on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but let's read this together. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Keep it there. They'll be afflicted for 400 years. Where is this? He is talking about Egypt that is to come. He's talking about being enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. It's a land that's not there. They are sojourners. He is promising this will happen. But then verse 14 promises this. But I will bring a judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. This judgment he's talking about we know is the ten plagues. The tenth plague being the plague of the firstborn son dying. 
And the Lord brings this upon them uh, and judges the nation so that not, not for Israel's sake. We know that Israel could, the Lord could have released Israel at any time. He could have taken them out of the hands of the Egyptians any time. But in Exodus, and I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself because I want to bring us back to this later. But in Exodus, he looks at the Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, look, I could have struck you down with pestilence any time that I wanted to. I could have struck you dead because our God is sovereign. But our God is merciful. He gave him not one, not two, not three, but ten times to repent and turn to him. He gave these signs and wonders saying that I am the God of the universe. And these are my people and I have not kept them in captivity for their sake for your sake, but so that my name may be proclaimed in them. Because he was pointing not to the physical captivity that they were in, but he was pointing to a greater wrath that is to come. That the 10th the plague pointed to the, uh, the death of all those who don't know Jesus. This was a greater wrath to come, and he was pointing to Christ, the Messiah, who was to come. So this is, this is how it fits, okay? We've got one more passage I want us to look for and look at in Deuteronomy chapter 7. The words, once again, will be on the screen. But it says this, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples of the earth, or who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other, but that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, therefore, that the Lord, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to what? What church? A thousand generations. From generation to generation to generation, our God is a faithful God. Amen? All right. So with all that being said, let's read Joshua chapter 4, okay? So uh, I'll read it for us, um, and then I want us to pray. All right, Joshua chapter 4, verse 1 says this. When all the nation had finished, finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. He did that in Joshua chapter 3. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Okay, we found ourselves after the Lord has pushed the waters of the Jordan back. Joshua is commanding these 12 men to go into the water and take out 12 stones. Okay, you with me? Um, So this will go on to verse 6. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask in the time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. That when he passed, or when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be on the people of Israel, a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them with them over to the place where they lodged and laid them there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant has stood. And there they are to this day. 
For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell his people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priest uh, passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, uh, armed before the, before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the souls of the priest were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Verse 24 so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray, church. Father God, I come to you, thanking you, Father, that you are a mighty God, that you are a God that is concerned with your people, that loves your people, You're a God who has incredible plans for you people and wants to use them in your work. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that's living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword, Father, that's able to penetrate our hearts and teach us and grow us and help us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And God, I pray that's what would happen this morning. God, that you would challenge us. God, help us to look more like Jesus as we read this passage. Father, help us to uh, want to pass on your name to generations and generations and to all the nations. Father, I pray, God, that you would speak through me. God, may it be your words upon my tongue. God, as I've been praying this whole week. God, may it not be my message, but, Father, may it be your message through me. God, may, me, may, I, may I just be a vessel for you. God, I just want to be your instrument this morning. God, open up our ears, our ears open up my ears, open up our eyes, God, to see your word and see the beauty and the majesty that is there. Thank you for this passage. God, I pray that you help us to apply it. All these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we see this passage can be kind of confusing at times so because it seems to kind of repeat itself. The first uh, verses 1 through 11, all right, are one group. The, first, the verses 12 to 24 are the, is the second group, okay? So remember how I said that Joshua chapter 3, he talked about the people of Israel crossing over the Jordan. Well, in Joshua chapter 4, he takes that and kind of expounds upon it. He repeats this story of Israel crossing over the Jordan twice and gives details, different details each time. Why does he do this? Why does he repeat this story twice in the same, uh, in the same section of Scripture? I believe, number one, because the work of God is always worthy of being repeated. Amen? 
We come every morning and we sing of the gospel. We sing of what he's done in our life. We sing of his death and burial and resurrection. We sing these songs every morning that tell of the same great work that he's done in our lives. And as we should, every morning when we wake up, we repeat the gospel to ourselves so that we're reminded of who we are in Christ and whose we are in Christ. God's work is always worthy of being repeated. But also, it's because Joshua was setting up an example because he's about to tell the people of Israel, take this very story, the work that, the God, that God has done in you, the work that God has done to take the water and move it back so you could cross aside. Take these words that I've, you've seen and multiply them to your children and to their children and multiply them to the nations beyond. So he set an example. He's saying, look, this is what I've commanded you to do, so I'm going to go ahead and do it again so that you can hear and be reminded of how great and mighty our king is. This is why Joshua repeats it twice, okay? So the first thing that I want us to look and see is that God is the good shepherd, that he cares for his sheep. All right, we see that in verses 1 and verses 11. All right, verse 1, read with me there. It says that when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan. Okay, keep that, then go to verse 11. And it says when all the people had finished passing, passing over when all the nations had finished or all the nation had finished passing passing and when all the people had finished passing over the Jordan what does this tell us what does this tell us about God that he is a good shepherd that he cares for his sheep not a single member of Israel was left on the other side he cares about the intimate details of their life he cares about everything because he crafted them and made them for his glory and he cares for them he took every single one so that no one was left behind We see this all throughout the Gospels. Jesus calls his people what? What does he call them? Sheep. He calls them sheep. Are sheep smart? No, sheep sometimes are not very wise. All right? So in the same way, we are like sheep. We need a leader. We need someone to follow. We need a good shepherd to follow. He's calling us sheep because we need, they they are uh, in need of a leader, someone to follow. So if we look at this passage and see that, uh, that all the nation had cro- crossed over. Obviously, we see that God cares for his people, but, uh, but if they are sheep, then, then who is leading them? What is leading them? Well, I present this before you, that, that what they were following was the very presence of God. All right, look with me, okay? Uh, look with me here uh, in uh, uh, verse number 17 of chapter 3. It's not on the screen, but just kind of look back in chapter 3. Verse 17 says, Now, Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, okay? So the ark of the covenant had gone before the people. In fact, earlier in Joshua chapter 3, he says the ark of the covenant, uh, God told Joshua to let the ark of the covenant go before the people into the Jordan because they don't know where to go. The ark of the covenant all throughout the Old Testament represented the very presence of God when, in fact, whenever it was in the Holy of Holies in the temple, it represented so much the, uh, the picture of God that you notice that, the, the, fair, uh, that the, uh, the priests that had to go in had to be cleansed for a year before they could even go and stand before the presence of God. In fact, they had to wear a rope on their leg because just in case that they had missed a sin inside of their life, whenever they went into the Holy of Holies, if they were any sin in their life that was unconfessed, the Lord could strike them. This is the picture of God's presence and His holiness, all right? This is the, pe- the picture of God's presence. So where before this have we seen God's presence? We saw in Exodus where they were following God by 
a cloud in the day and a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire at night. It symbolized the very presence of God that they were following. So we have a cloud and fire. We also see the presence of God in the burning bush with Moses. We also see the presence of God here with the Ark of the Covenant. Where is God present in the New Testament? In believers, he is inside of us in his spirit. The very God of the universe lives in us. And we follow his presence. We are guided by his spirit in our lives. The very God that crafted us, made us, lives inside of us to guide us and use us for his glory. Is that not incredible? Think about that. That doesn't get you pumped up. I don't know what will. All right. So uh, the very presence of God is with us. Very, the presence of God went before them in the Ark of the Covenant. And he said, look, you go and you, you go before them into the Ark. And when, when the Ark, the priests uh, holding the Ark, when their feet touch the water, then the water will split. He showed that his presence was with them. So God is the good shepherd. He cares for his sheep. He's present with us everywhere. But secondly, I want you to see. Actually, I want us to read this real quick before we go to the second point. Uh, Galatians 5, 24 through 25 will be on the screen. Brian brought this up in our staff meeting a couple days ago. um, And I thought it applied very well today. But it says these words. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk with the Spirit. If we've been crucified with Christ, if we have um, died to ourselves daily, let us walk by the Spirit. Another translation says, inside of that, it says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I kind of prefer that translation because look, look in our lives. Look in our lives. If the Spirit of God lives inside of us and we follow it, we need to be obedient to it. We don't want to be too behind the Spirit that we don't know where he's leading, that we can't follow him and follow his guidance. But we don't want to be ahead of the Spirit because we want to be so dependent upon his presence that we need him in our lives. We need to keep in step with the Spirit. This God that is present with Israel, the same God that's present with us today and the Spirit that's living in us, okay? So second point, his people are commanded to worship him. All right, look with me, if you will, in verses 2 through 5 and verses 8 through 11. Remember how these passages Go together, okay? We'll read verses 2 through 5 first. It says, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firm, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And Joshua called the twelve men for the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God, In the midst of the Jordan, take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. And he commands them to do the same thing in verses 8 through 11. He commands the 12 men of each tribe. There are 12 tribes in Israel, one man from each tribe. He commands them to go out, get a stone from where the very feet of the priests were inside of the Jordan. Get that stone. Obviously, there's a large stone because he said take it on the shoulder. It would be a Todd McGinnis kind of carrying stone. All right. Uh, Put it on his shoulder. Yeah, that's right, Todd. Uh, Put it on his shoulder, carried it, uh, and they brought it onto the land at the place where they were lodging that night. Okay? So these, he commands them to take up stones. So what do these stones mean? All right, look with me, if you will, in verse 7. Verse 7, it says this, that when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off so that these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. A memorial forever. So these stones were stones of memory. They were a memorial stone. 
So God asked them, look, this is, I've done an incredible work among you. I have parted the water so that you can cross over. I want you to go and grab one of these stones so that you can remember the work that I have done in your life. And I want you to set it up as an example and as a public display for all the world that this is the work that I have done in you. It's a memorial stone. When God does something incredible in our lives, and if you're a believer in Christ, he has. He has changed you from death to life. But if, and there's multiple to, multitudes of others that he's probably done in your life. When God does an incredible work in your life, maybe it's a struggle that you went through or that you're currently going through, and the Lord brings you out of it, or the Lord teaches you something inside of it, how are we setting up memorial stones in our life to remember this is what God has done in my life so we can look back and say, okay, God, this is, this is how far you've brought me. I understand now that this is what you were doing in my life at this time because I'm looking at this stone and I'm seeing where I am currently. And I praise you, God, because you brought me through that so I could stand where I am today. How are we setting up stones in our life that when God does an incredible thing in our life that we're remembering it? Man, I, I mean, I remember even just in high school, just a small, simple example of uh, things that I would do. I mean, I would, I would go into a test. Uh, I love academics. I don't know why, but I love it. I love reading. Uh, I love being a nerd, and that's great. Um, but sometimes it can come before uh, my relationship with the Lord, so I have to kind of crucify that daily, okay? Not that uh, being academics is, is wrong in any regards. But anyway, I, I love it. I strive to do the best that I could inside of school. And so I would pray, okay, God, hey, will you help me pass this test? Just a simple prayer. You guys have probably prayed that before. Maybe you didn't study the night before. Maybe you studied a whole bunch and you're nervous. I don't know, either one. But maybe you prayed and said, God, I need you to help me pass this test. Have you been there? Yep. So what did you do? You took the test. Maybe you aced it. Maybe you missed a couple. Maybe uh, you left a couple answers blank or all of it. But what did you come out of the test? Did you, did you thank the Lord for his guidance inside of that? Or maybe similar things, even a bigger example in your life. Maybe you've gone through a challenge that the Lord has brought you through. Maybe it's a physical challenge. Maybe it's a challenge with your marriage. Maybe it's a challenge with your kids. Man, the Lord has brought you through that. Have you taken the time to stand and say, thank you, Lord, for that time in my life? I see now. I didn't understand at the moment, but I see now why you're doing that. Have you taken the time to step back and say, thank you, God, for working that in my life? How are we setting up these memorial stones? Secondly, we also see that these stones were stones of memorial, but they're also stones of an altar. All right? There's not necessarily a verse in Joshua chapter 4, but throughout the rest of the book of Joshua, it takes Joshua, wherever he goes, sets up an altar. He ends up setting up seven altars to the Lord throughout the book of Joshua. And each time he set an altar to the Lord so that it may be uh, known to all of Israel that this is what God has done. It, was, it wasn't just a one-time thing. It was a continuation that this is the public display of the mighty hand of our God working in my life. God set up these stones as an altar. And what they would do with the altar is they would take an animal sacrifice, a pure blood animal, or pure, pure animal, and shed the blood of the animal as a remembrance of what Christ, the Messiah, is to come and do. It was a picture of Jesus that was to come. We know that in the Old Testament, people weren't saved simply by obeying the sacrifice. No, they were placing their faith in the Messiah that was to come. And it was a symbol. Their sacrifice was a symbol that they believed that Jesus would send, uh, God would send Jesus, the Messiah, to save them. So he would set up this stone of altar. We should set up, we should set up these stones as an altar in our lives every day and, and lay our lives down on the altar each morning and say, God, whatever you want from me, 
may my life be a sacrifice to you. But also, as we set up these stones, remember the great sacrifice that was shed for us. God gave his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to, be, to, take, to take flesh, become man, and to take the sin and the wrath of God, just as we sung it a second ago. The sin of man and the wrath of God was laid on Jesus. This was the ultimate sacrifice. And may we remember this sacrifice every morning by setting up an altar in our lives. And may we say, just as Brian said last week, my life is a blank check to you. Whatever you want, God, write it in there. My life is yours. May we set up stones as an altar in our life every day, whether this is in the congregation as we come on Sunday mornings and as we sing. Maybe this is in our homes as we lead family worship. Maybe this is in our closets as we go and we have our own time of prayer. Maybe it's in your chair when you get to spend time in his word. Each day, May we set up memorials in our lives. Okay, God, this is what you've done. Thank you for doing this in my life. All right? So also, he gave specific commands, okay? Inside of these stones, he gave specific commands. Number one, he said one person from each tribe. That means he commanded all of Israel to be represented in this. He commands his people to worship him. It's a command. It's not something that we come and do on Sunday mornings as a checkoff. It's a command. It's a privilege because he is worthy. Amen? He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our lives. He has commanded us to do it, and it's a privilege that we get to follow this command. Right? Amen. So it's a command that he commands all the people. But also he says, lay it in the place where you lodge tonight. May your worship be done at home. Man, men, women, when you come home, maybe you're with your wife, your husband, or maybe you come home and you're with your children. Talk to them about what the Lord has done in them and their lives for the day. This is an area that I'm trying to grow in my relationship with Holly as well. Talk about what the Lord has done in your life. Pray together. Sing together. Read his word together. Ask what they have studied that morning. Challenge them. Grow them in the faith. We're going to talk about this in the next point. But I want to bring this out because this is a passion. Teach them. Teach them. Disciple them. They're your children. They're a blessing and a privilege to you. They're your arrows and your quiver. Use them for Jesus. Use them for Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, point number three, okay? Point number three, okay? His name is to be proclaimed to all nations and all generations. Remember how I said that God's promises were passed down from generation to generation to generation, okay? So look with me, if you will, in verse 23 first. There's two sections of Scripture we'll look at, but let's look at 23 through 24. He's commanded them to take these stones um, and put them up as a memorial, and this is why. Two reasons. For the nation's and for the generations. Okay, let's look at nations first, 23 to 24. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. And as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is what? Mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. This has been God's heart cry since the beginning that his hand may be proven mighty in their lives. And his heart cry is for the whole nations. If you would take a look back and, at Scripture and take a step back and see, okay, where do you talk about the peoples of the earth, Lord? Where do you talk about the nations of the earth, Lord? There are more references in the Old Testament about the, about the nations and about the people than there are in the New. God has a heart for the nations, and God has commanded us to go and take this privilege to them. And how do we start with that? We start with setting up memorials in our lives. 
Each day, may we die to ourselves and may we say, Jesus, I am a blank check to you today. God, whatever you want in my life, use me to declare your name to the nations. Because this is what he desires, that the whole earth may fear the Lord. How do we know that the Lord is at work in this? How do we know that he is seeing this? Look back at Rahab. What did Rahab do? The two spies at Jericho came into her house and she said, look, I know that your Lord is God because I have seen what he has done in Exodus. I've seen that he released his people from captives of slavery. I've seen that he has allowed them to cross over the Red Sea. I've seen that he has even struck down the Amorites. I've seen that he is a powerful and mighty God. I know that he is God because of the things that he has done in you. May it be said of us, God has turned our life around, taken us from the domain of darkness and set us into his kingdom of light. And we have this good news for the world that he has allowed us the privilege of taking it. May his name be proclaimed. Look back in Israelites in the Exodus, the Lord parted the waters and said that my name will be proclaimed in all this because of, because of what I've done in you. Look back to the Pharaoh, and, and I wish we had time to read this, but in Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9, this is what he does. He goes to Pharaoh, like I said, and says, look, I could, I could have struck you down. I could, have, I could have shown my mighty hand to you, but I did this so that you and your country and the whole world may know that I am God. I have spared you because I wanted the whole country to know and the whole world to know that I am the sovereign king of the universe. His name to be proclaimed to all nations. Men and women, we have the nations at our doorstep. We have the nations at our doorstep. May we be obedient in taking it. Man, man whether, whether it's at the Walmart, if you're, if you're a Walmart goer, maybe you're a K. Roger goer, either one, wherever you go, Man, may, may gospel be proclaimed in that. May you talk, be obedient in speaking to him. K. Rogers Kroger. I don't know if you recognize that. All right? So wherever you go, all right, may, may his name be proclaimed to all nations. But secondly, he cares about all generations. Okay? Look with me in verse 6 through 7, then we'll read 21 through 22. It says this, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask in time to come, what, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel, a memorial forever. Verse 21 and 22. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, then you shall let your children know that Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. We've read the last two verses. But he cares about the generations. He cares about them. He commands the people, the individuals. He say, you, whenever your children approach you about this, whenever they see that you are worshiping the Lord and you're setting up these memorial stones in your life, may your children come to you and say, what did God do? What is the purpose of this? And may you respond, my God, my king did this in my life. And may you spread his name to your children. What does that look like? What does that look like? Man, whether it's in... I want to ask you this and kind of bring this home to us with these questions. And these apply to myself. I don't have children yet, and I want to one day, one day, and I want to very dearly. But I pray that this would be the desire of, I know, I know, I'm a man, all right? I pray that this would be the desire of my heart whenever I'm the father of my children. Number one, do we pray for our children? I remember, I remember every day my mom and my dad prayed for me. They prayed for my future wife, and praise the Lord they did because I got a great one. 
but they prayed for you. Do we pray for our children? Do we pray for their lives? Do we pray that they would be used as a blank check? Can you imagine that? My deepest desire for my children one day would be that whatever that they would do, they would do it for the glory of God. Whether that, that's called, whether that, that I have a son that's called to be a pastor in, in, in America, whether that's their call to be missionaries, whether that's their call to, be, to work at Sonic, whether that's their call to be in the business, whether that's called whatever, that they would be a declaration of the glory of God in that city and in their homes. That's my prayer. God, use them as a blank check. Use them as a blank check. You know your children can make a difference. They can. All right? So then also, what, are, maybe, what about in the public arena? What about when you come here on Sunday mornings, when you sing? Do your, do your children see you as a passionate worshiper of God? Do your children see you singing without abandon, with reckless abandon, that you would come and you would declare the name of his praises? Maybe even, even, in, uh, maybe even in your homes, when you go home, do you, does your children see you as the men and women of God that are passionate for his name? Do you have the opportunity to take them and ask them, okay, God, what, if, what, or what has God been doing in your life? Are you pouring into them? We get your children maybe a couple of hours a week here, but you are with them countless hours. I will be with my children countless hours. May this be... May this be the heart cry of us, that we would say, God, I, wanna, I want your name to be proclaimed in these children. Use me as a vessel to them. When the Lord does something in your kid's life, do you take the opportunity to step back and let them look and say, what has God done in your life? Teach your children to set up memorial stones. May your children one day Man, I pray this. May they come to know him as Lord and Savior as I know is your desire. I know that's your desire. Do we pray for that? Do we pray for that? I want to leave us with one last thing. Oh, here's one more question for us. Whenever we are, uh, whenever maybe in the morning times, do your children catch you studying the word of God? Do they see that the word of God is your nourishment? It is your source of life. Do they see that? I hear testimony of uh, dailies. I hear testimony. I'm not to put you on the spot, but I heard it in our group last week. That one of the precious things of Kim, the memories of their family, is that Vance would be in the mornings in his word, and he, she would catch him in the morning time studying his word because he has a passion and a desire for his word. May I strive to be that way for my children. May we all strive to have a desire to see our kids grow up in the nourishment of Scripture. Let me leave you with this story. There's a man by the name of Dmitri. Dmitri was a little boy that was born in Russia in the mid-1900s. This boy named Dmitri uh, lived with his parents inside of the middle of nowhere Russia, but his, his parents were the only believers in their area for a long way. But every night, his dad would bring their family into the to the family den and have a time of singing and praying with them and reading of scripture. He would have family worship with them nightly. And he would sing this one song in particular, Oh God, give me strength. It was an old Russian hymn. And it says, Oh God, give me strength. So every night, Dmitri heard and sang this song. He became a believer. But this young boy grew up and became a man. And this man established his own family, had his own children. And he began to practice the practice of his father. 
He did exactly what his father did with his family, that he began to read and pray and sing songs with his family nightly. And every night they would sing the song in particular, Oh God, give me strength. These words rung in his head head as he walked throughout the day. But this, this time of family worship grew. They began bringing their friends into family worship. They began talking to friends about Jesus. And a revolution was born inside of this family so that a church was formed out of that family worship. And the church expanded 5, 10, 15, 20, all the way up to 150 people. About the number we have in this room meeting inside of one house. That would be a big house. But this man took and gathered these 150 people inside of this one room began singing with them, oh God, give me strength. They began taking the gospel out to their friends and their friends and their friends, and the KGB heard of it and said, I don't want this to be any part of our nation. The KGB entered into their house, took up Dimitri, the pastor, the son of his father, took him to prison and put him in prison. But he practiced what his father had taught him, to be in God's word daily and to sing uh, to him daily. And so in the jail cell, he would stand up as soon as the morning rose. He would rise himself, and he would stand up with his hands up in the air and begin singing the song that his father taught him, Oh God, give me strength. He did this for 17 years. 17 years. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was crushed. He was cursed. And every time that he rose and he sang, oh God, give me strength, all the jail cell prisoners would take their metal cups and bang it against the jail cell, trying to drown out the sound of his song. But our God still heard it. Our God still heard it. So it came in a point after 17 years, the prison guards were tired of it. So the warden scheduled for his execution. They go and they grab Dimitri out of his prison cell. And start to walk him down execution lane. As he's walking, Dimitri begins to hear what he thinks is the sound of a thousand angels. And he looks to his right, to his left, and he sees that his his jailmates standing with their arms raised in the air singing, Oh God, give me strength. The very same song that his father sang to him. He gets to the stand. And the warren hears the sound of these prison mates. And he looks at Dimitri straight in the eyes. And he says, man, who are you? Dimitri says, I am am a son of the living king. And his name is Jesus Christ. He was released from prison. Dimitri's son, who he had led in family worship day in and day out became the chaplain of that prison. How were we leaving a legacy? How were we leaving a legacy? Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, number one, Father, that you have turned us from the domain of darkness and you have pulled us into your marvelous light. God, I thank you that you are good and you're merciful God, that you are Savior and that you are Lord. God, I thank you that you allow us to be a part of your kingdom work. God, I thank you that you allow us to be the head of our families. God, I thank you that you allow us to be spiritual leaders in our families. And God, I pray that you would help us to do that. God, may we, may we leave a legacy for the generations, for the generations, so that all the nations can see that the hand of our God is mighty. 
And Father, I pray, God, in our lives, Father, that we would say, hey, God, my life is a blank check. God, use me in whatever way. God, may we pray the same for our generations. Lord, I love you. God, I thank you for Christ. It's his name that we pray. Maybe this time, brothers, sisters in Christ, maybe you just want to come and say, okay, God, my life is a blank check to you. Maybe you want to come and say, God, I want to leave a legacy to my children. Would you help me to be the pastor, the father of my family, the shepherd of my family? God, would you help me to set up memorial stones in my life that I may remember your work that you have done. And God, may I consecrate myself to you. May that be our prayer this morning as you stand, as you sing. I'll be at the front if you want to come and talk. The altar is open for you to come and pray. But I invite you to come.